Welcome to Conversational Commerce. Each week, we'll be having real and raw conversations with operators and experts in e-commerce, all about what conversational commerce means to them. I'm your host, Stephanie Griffith. Let's jump in. Before we jump into today's episode, I want to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Postscript. There are other SMS solutions out there, but Postscript is hands down our favorite SMS tool for e-commerce brands using Shopify and Shopify Plus. They work with some of our favorite brands like Olipop, Brooklinen, Kapari, and thousands of others. And sure, they are our sponsor for this show. Thanks, Postscript! But we love them for many other reasons. Postscript is the leader empowering brands to have two-way conversations with their customers using conversational commerce. They have integrations with your favorite platforms like Gorgeous and Klaviyo, so your brand can be truly conversational. Most importantly, their customer support is next level. I've worked with brands that use Postscript and have been blown away by their customer support. It's no wonder they have over 1,400 reviews and are rated 4.9 stars in the Shopify App Store. For a free 30-day trial, check out our link in the show notes or visit them at postscript.io. Again, that's postscript.io. Hey folks, welcome back to Conversational Commerce uh, for our second episode. Today, we are here with Eli Weiss, who is the Director of Retention and Customer Experience at Olipop. Big fan uh, over here, if you can't tell. Um, Eli, we're so excited to have you here with us today. So thank you so much for taking time on your, your lunch today to spend it with us. Um, and if you'd want to you know, tell the folks that are listening a little bit more about you and Olipop, um, I think they'd love to hear it. Thanks, Emil, Stephanie. Um, I am thrilled to be here and super thankful that you chose me as your number two guest. Um, a little bit about Olipop. Olipop is a new kind of soda, so it's the same nostalgic flavors you had growing up, but instead of 39 to 45 grams of sugar in a can, it's 2 to 5 grams of sugar and 9 grams of, of plant fiber in each can with um, prebiotics and botanicals, things like marshmallow root and slippery elm bark and kudzu root, things that you wouldn't generally have in a beverage. Um, a little bit about myself. I am Eli Weiss. Um, I have spent the last seven-ish years in Direct consumer spent the first couple of years in luggage at a Kickstarter brand based in Israel. Um, was there from 2016 to 2020, and recently transitioned into food and beverage. So I spent some time at Nugs, um, and then I transitioned to Olipop. So that's kind of my my last couple of years. Amazing, thank you. And I, as we just discussed right before uh, hitting the record button. Because Olipop's so helpful or so healthy, um, we're definitely billing it as a breakfast beverage. So <laughs> I will be sitting on my Olipop throughout the show. No shame in my Olipop game. Amazing. <laughs> Thanks so much. And Eli, thank you. I have to thank you for the swag. Definitely one of my favorite pieces. Had to wear it for the show. Of course. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so um, as we discussed, conversational commerce really is trying to not be like all of the other e-commerce shows. Um, I think you, Matt, and I have all been part of, you know, the echo chamber of really similar conversations happening on Twitter, across different podcasts. I'm sure you're asked about Olipop all the time. So we would really like to take, you know, a really different approach here and have these real and raw conversations with folks about what is happening, you know, in our industry, how are brands approaching conversational commerce, and ultimately, what does it mean to them? Um, so I do want to kick it off. And this is a question we'll be posing to pretty much every guest, because I think getting those different perspectives is key. So we'd love to know, like, what does conversational commerce mean to you when you hear it? Yeah, I mean, I think the the first thing that comes to mind around conversational commerce is, is another way to make money. 
um, which is the part mm. which is the part that gets me a little frustrated right off the bat, right? It's like conver- conversational commerce is like instead of going through uh, your website to place an order, et cetera, et cetera, here, we'll send mm-hmm. you a bunch of messages on WhatsApp and text and, and all that other stuff and, and make and, and get you get you in the funnel that way. That that's that's one side of conversational commerce, the side that I don't love. The other side that I think we're we're scratching the surface on as as a collective group of people in direct consumer CPG space is conversational commerce is the idea of having conversations that bring customers closer mm-hmm. to you as a brand, which in turn brings more revenue without you having to beg for a sale. So you think about you think about developing real relationships with consumers that that will actually mm-hmm. turn into massive, massive increases in revenue. And, and on our end, when, when I think about, you know, I can think of a couple of names of customers that we've interacted with and engaged with in the last two years. Um, and some of them have placed like upwards of 60 orders with us. So these are people that are super close oh to the brand and, and we have real conversations instead of just like, Hey, here's a new, here's a new flavor, please purchase it. Um, so that's, that's kind of right. my, my framework of what I think conversational commerce can be. Um, if, the, if done right. I love that. I really appreciate you taking kind of the, you know, not the perfect sunshiny lens. Like we, and we talked with Mandy Moshe on our last episode, a lot about this of like, we give ourselves a lot of credit as marketers. Um, and I'm sure on the customer experience side too, since they go hand in hand, we like to think we're doing the best things for our customers. But of course, there's still that overarching goal of driving that bottom line for the business. We're all here to do a job. But I think that that unlock comes into when we start really prioritizing um, conversations over conversions. And that's something you'll hear Matt and I talk a lot about uh, throughout the course of the show and, you know, as we evangelize this concept. So I really think you hit the nail on the head there um, and agree that we're really just scratching the surface and there's a lot more work to be done. Um, so in terms of, you know, customer service, I'm, I'm sure you hear this a lot. I think you're, you're really perceived as kind of the king of customer experience, Thank you. Uh, ultimately. Yeah. And we, I love that you've really set the stage and on how to do that better. Um, so I'd love to hear a little bit more about your role and kind of what customer experience really means to you. Cause I think you're taking a wildly different approach. Yeah, I am. Uh, every time I hear anyone saying anything kind about the work I'm doing on, on customer experience, I literally get goosebumps. Um, it, it's extremely kind uh, of you to say that. I, I think for me, this whole thing started by me being a really difficult customer, which is something people don't know about. Mm. I'm I'm annoying. Like if I order something and it's a lot of money and I saved up for it, mm-hmm. and you fuck with me, like I am not. I'm mm-hmm. not here for it. And as a as a brand, it's like I I I just. I mean, as a customer, I'm sorry. As a customer, I can drive. I can drive people mm-hmm. crazy because I'm like, there's no way I order an $85 t-shirt and you're shipping it with DHL that goes around the country seven times before it gets to me. For weeks. So I am, that's mm-hmm. number one. That's like a little framework. So for me, as a 10, 12, 13 year old, I remember getting on the phone with some of these companies. I'm a little punk and they start telling me like, well, we're so sorry. And I'm like, no, you're not. Like you're reading off a script. Here's what you should tell me right. that would make me chill. And I'd literally say this as a 10 year old, which is bonkers, right? I'm like telling people like, if you really wanted me to be happy, just say like, you genuinely are sorry that I didn't get the product and stop saying like, we are so apologetic for UPS. And I'm like, that's, that's silly. So as a, as a little kid, I was always yeah. super annoying. Um, f- fast forward to my, my career. So I did not graduate college, but very non-traditional as far as even getting into CPG, did a lot of traveling um, with like points and miles while normal people were 
in school. So I jumped into mm-hmm. the, this like CPG world at the age of 21, 22. And my first role as somebody without any real experience or college degree was like the entry level role, which I was living in Israel at the time. This startup was in, in super deep shit as far as like they were a Kickstarter brand. They launched this product in 2014, 2016 comes and they had not even produced the product. And they kept saying like, it's on the way, it's on the way. In reality, it wasn't produced yet. And and they had great intentions mm. as far as like, we we have this money, we have the product, there are delays. But what they thought that, you know, my hypothesis coming in was like, customers don't want the product. They want to feel like they're part of building the brand. So how can we zoom out and be mm. super honest and transparent and say, here's what's going on. We really need your support to pull this through the end. They had like 97% of people wanted a refund and they had no native English speaker. And I was the guy where it was like, I was the only crazy that was willing to take this job. I was like, I've never done customer service, customer experience, but it feels somewhat simple like all you have to do is shut up and listen Mm. um and when somebody's super pissed about a and it doesn't make sense that they'd be that angry you have to read between the lines that was my first foray zero Mm -hmm. background in this other than being a difficult customer um hopped in day one and i was like we're being super transparent here's what's really going on we really need your support no Mm. we i'm going straight i you're talking to eli hard time getting pissed off at eli much easier time getting pissed off at the brand and that was my thing and this is me myself doing this thing um, and I just watched the business transform. So we, we rallied these people behind us and we ended up launching this V1 and ended up launching a V2 and had like 97% of people that hated us hop right back in for the second round. And I was like, holy shit, how is it that Zappos and Chewy are like famous for quite literally mm. having people that pick up the phone in an office in the US? And it's like the bar is so low. Every other CPG brand is mm. just like watching Facebook turn up that dial and they're like, we're going to hire more growth people and we're going to get more growth. And it's like nobody's focusing on the flip side of like maybe people don't come back because you're giving them a shit experience. So that's where my this is mm. 2016. And I'm like, this is odd. Mm. It feels like the bar is so low. It's not that difficult to accomplish, but nobody's doing it. Um, and it's been interesting to kind of watch over the last couple of years as like people are getting squeezed with insane margins and, and, and rising acquisition costs. And it's like, oh, shit, we can't purchase somebody for $150 if their first order is $35. Right. So it's like we're, we're learning mm-hmm. that acquisition and, you know, CAC and LTV has to make sense. And now we're turning towards right. non-traditional. <laughs> and I say that with uh, with a very. Uh, scorny sound but non-traditional ways of keeping people happy which is customer experience um but yeah mm-hmm. i love that yeah i want to i want to pause to unpack that a little bit because i think what i'm hearing you say is you're you're really focusing on the human experience right humanizing this and i think it's so easy to dehumanize uh customers when we refer to them that way it creates that kind of other of like they're a customer. We're not saying they're a person or especially, you know, it's, it's amazing that you were able to say there's a handful of customers you guys know by name because they order so frequently. I'm sure so many large brands don't do that. Yeah, we throw first name in the email. Yeah, we can, you know, pull in some personalization tags and make the customer think that we know them, but we don't. Like the people actually running the business don't prioritize it that way. So yeah, I think if I'm hearing you, it's like, give a shit about people being people. Um, and kind of focus on humanizing that experience. And that's almost kind of the foundation number one, if we want to re-architect this whole thing. Um, and I agree with you. Like, it sounds like, I guess here, here's a here's a follow-up question for you. Do you think it's that hard? Do you think it's that hard to provide a more human experience? Um, I think that's a million dollar question. Two, two things. First mm-hmm. of all, I think 
on top of on top of humanizing the customer, I think it's the the other side mm-hmm. of that is taking accountability as yourself, not as the brand. So I think we see most people as cut as employees saying like, "Hey, UPS is whatever, FedEx is whatever," or like you know, like blaming the company, taking zero personal accountability. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's a tif- difficult thing as well, is because like it's not my fault, right? But 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 mm-hmm. honestly, whether or not it's your fault, taking personal accountability doesn't say it's my fault. Taking pers- personal accountability means. I really feel for you and this sucks. Yeah. And I think that's number one. Mm-hmm. I empathize. Right. And that's that's number one mm-hmm. I think I've seen like in my own work and, and on my team. It's like the second, you know, as a brand, we have accountability to get the product to your door. Whether or not it's a helicopter or a carrier pigeon or UPS, it's like we gotta get it to you. So take saying like, oh, UPS is fucked is is less of an excuse at this point in the game. And it's like I'm so sorry because I know how frustrating it is how frustrating it is to order a product, not get it when you expect it. Now we can talk about the UPS mm-hmm. delays and then we can say like, you know, we're doing our best to get it to you as soon as possible. If you didn't get it by X date, happy to send you a replacement. So, so you can put in the same reasoning around UPS with taking personal accountability. That, to answer your question, how difficult is it to do it? I think the, the and, and this, is a, this is a hot take, but I, I think we architect customer experience as a role in a very odd way of setting it up to be an entry level role. We pay people $35,000, in cities like New York and LA, which they can't even pay rent in. And we're expecting these people to be superheroes. I think that's number one. It's like, if you're hiring somebody at that at, and, and paying that wage and expecting somebody to be a superhuman and take accountability for all the shit that's going on in your ops, supply chain, marketing, growth, every other part of the business, you're screwed. I think that's number one, right? So it's like, if you're going to outsource this whole thing and expect them to, to win wars for you, that's already, mm-hmm. that's already an out. So I think that's number one is like, we need to put this on a pedestal. And that's my mm-hmm. 20, 30 year mission, which I think being at Olipop has been amazing because they empower me to do this and, and give me the ability to talk about just this vision and, and bring it to a better place of like, this needs to be on a pedestal dealing with, it, you know, interacting with customers every single day, taking personal accountability for every other part of the business and turning people into brand evangelists. That is huge and as somebody that's worked in every single part of a business at this luggage company other than finance and design i touched pretty much every part of the business in the four years i was there customer experience is the hardest job by a mile it, mm. it, if you're good at it it sucks the life out of you like to hear that somebody wants mm. a refund because they need money to pay for a surgery and you don't have the money because you've spent it all in a suitcase like that'll hurt right and it's like this it's a difficult job so i think that's like the overarching thing that i think is the biggest struggle is like we need to put this back on a pedestal it's not an entry-level job it's Mm. hard as hell it's super rewarding when done right but this is what makes or breaks a business Mm -hmm. i love that yeah i think with so many things you can't expect people to want to show up and give their all in that role if you don't even especially if you're as a you know organization saying we have to show up and give our all for customers, but we're not going to give our all to you as the employee who are then asking to do it, right? That reciprocity. Yeah. Um, so I love that. I really think that's a great way to think about it. It's like you got to start. You got to walk the walk, right? Talk the talk, walk the walk internally, and really prioritize and value the team that you're asking to do some of the hardest work. Um, and who is largely on the front lines of making sure that people people's relationships with brands don't disintegrate or they don't ha- you know leave with a bad taste in their mouth. Um, I think you mentioned Chewy and Zappos earlier. I recently had a, a bad experience with another pet 
company. I'm a really loyal uh, purchaser. I have prescription foods for my pets, like not, you know, not cheap orders. And I had placed one, they lost it. It took like a week and a half. I had to follow up and say like, hey, like, you know, where is this? They're like, oh, we're really sorry, but it just, it just didn't leave the warehouse. And I was like, okay, like my, my pet is out of their prescription food. Like I really need it. Can you expedite? Can you expedite the order? And they were just like, no, sorry. Like there's just really nothing we can do. It's going to take like two to three order, like two to three days to reprocess this order. And I was just immediately like, I'm going back to Chewy because I've never had that. I've never had a negative experience. They always kind of write the wrongs. Um, and I really do think sometimes it's that simple of like, just do the right thing, write the wrongs. Like if someone's like, it wasn't my fault that it was lost. And I really have a need for this, um, you know, bridge that gap and empower your, your associates to do that. So totally hear you. I think the last, the last thing, the last couple of words you said there is like empower your team to do that is, is resonates the most Mm. because, you know, we talk about hiring these amazing superheroes to hop in every single day and go at war with your company. And by not empowering Mm -hmm. them, it's, it's the most miserable job. And we, we talk about CX being like one of the highest turnover positions at a company. We talk about people getting in there mm. and feeling like they have no room for growth and they have no way to, you know, the only growth is out, right? It's like, if you go into CX, what am I doing next? Am I doing marketing? Am I doing sales? Right. And it's like, if you empower your team to do crazy shit and do, mm-hmm. to do cool shit and to go above and beyond to make people happy, that job turns from like the most miserable job ever to the most amazing thing ever. Like to be able to tell your customer like, hey, we lost 10 cases of Olipop, we are overnighting it. Even though we are losing like a stupid amount of money on that order, the ability to make that that person's day or week is is so beyond that it's like we we mm-hmm. it's you know it's us looking at this as a cost center and being like we got to keep this cheap we got to keep this cheap instead of looking at it as a marketing tool where it's like if you invest this little bit of money this person will like if they had overnighted that your pet food to you you'd not only have stick have stuck with them for who knows how many years to come but you'd also tell everyone totally right? yeah <laughs> so I, I literally, I went and I paid more money. I had a discount because it was a re, like a recurring order. I think I even had like a, a win back coupon on this. Like I was going to save money, but because it was so behind and my, my cat needed this prescription food, I was like, I'm literally willing to tell you, I will not be ordering from you again. I'm going to go give more money to your immediate competitor because there was nothing you could do to help me. And it was I could totally tell it was a lack of empowerment. It was absolutely, I think, a largely outsourced team. You could tell it was really scripted. You know, they really couldn't get in the weeds with me or meet me where I was at or, you know, empathize with the, with, with what I was going through. Um, and I think the companies that shine are the ones that really do that. And something that you talked about, about using marketing, or I'm sorry, using customer experience as a tool. It's another marketing tool, really. And not just that cost center harkens back to something we talked with Mandy about. And I think we're already hearing a theme here. And I love this. I want to focus on this a lot is that even if you can't measure the ROI, like if it's not in, like you don't think it's quantifiable, it doesn't mean it's not there. So like doing that right thing, you know, is going to get someone to come back and forever order from Olipop, like, or whatever the brand is. So I think that's a huge thing to focus on too. It's like, just because you can't measure it immediately, or maybe you have to go off script to do it. Doesn't mean that that long-term return, you know, on that investment or return on that, you know, human experience isn't there. Yeah. So I really, yeah. really think that that's yeah, I mean, I, a theme we're I seeing. think that's spot on. The the interesting thing about, the, about you know, not being able to measure it is, on one hand, you know, brands that are much larger than, than ours have, like, figured out a way to, like, measure our, like, measure LTV on customers that have chatted with them versus customers that haven't. So that's interesting as far as, like, 
finally mm. cracking that code. The flip side of it is something that I tell my team every week is like, if you as a human would feel better about your experience with a brand because of what you did for that other person, that's mm. how you measure it, right? So if it's like, if we do something super cool, like if we, if you ordered soda from us twice and we sent you a plant, you know, if that would make you love us forever, that'll do the same thing to the other person. Cause the one common thing, one totally. common thread here is we're all, we're all people with feelings, right? So that's like the, the thing mm -hmm. I think about a lot is like whether or not, and, and it's a change of framing, right? It's like when you look at it as a cost center, you're constantly counting dollars and nickels and dimes, but you have no problem spending $300,000 on your billboards everywhere else that you can't quantify either. Right. So it's like, right. it's like, it goes both ways. If you can, if you can quantify the billboard, which you can't, even the QR code is not, you know, that discount code, those codes leak everywhere. That'll be on honey in 12 hours. So you can't quantify it, but you say it's mm -hmm. brand awareness. We can get brand awareness from doing crazy cool shit for customers too, right? And that's that's the framing that I, I dream about changing across much more much more than just Olipop. Oh, I love that. That's that's amazing. I really love that perspective. And it sounds obviously like you you know have found yourself in a position of being really empowered and being able to offer that to your team at Olipop. Um, so something I want to ask you more specifically about and something I know you've talked about, you, you you tweet these things out, and I always find them to be so heartwarming, is this concept of doing the things that don't scale. Um, I almost think that you could maybe coin that. I feel like that's really one of the first places I've like heard it so pointedly of like, just do the right thing, do the things that don't scale. So I'd love to kind of like get the background on that. Where did that come from? You know, what are some of your favorite examples of how that happens at Olipop? Um, you know, because it sounds like a really core fiber of the team there. Yeah, I wish I can take credit for that uh, slogan. That is Paul Graham from Y Combinator. Okay, and excellent. He wrote an article that I read, I believe, three or four years ago. Um, that was, I, I think the concept came about when Airbnb was starting and Airbnb was, I think, in the first mm. cohort of Y Combinator. And they were thinking about, how do we scale this experience of a consumer feeling like this is a super nice place, not somebody's grandma's janky backyard bedroom, right? So it was like, right. it was like, let's hire these photographers that'll come and take professional studio shots and just it, it'll look 10 times cooler and it'll look like the photos you see on like Hilton's website, right? So that was the vision. And the, mm -hmm. the, the thing that came up right away was like, there's, you want to build a zillion dollar company. How are you going to do that? Like, that's impossible. It costs us more money to get these photos than we make and, unless people, you know, have stayed there for a month straight. So the concept was when you start a business, do things that don't scale. And what's interesting about Airbnb mm -hmm. is that they've, they've done it for a while, then they stopped because they were in this crazy growth phase. And now they're back again, doing it again, where they're, you know, they have a specific line of certain homes and properties where they shoot professional photography. And it's interesting yeah. to see that transition. So from my perspective, you know, when, when I see a brand that does something super nice for me, but I have a weird feeling that everyone gets this, like if you put a nice little sticker in my first order, it's like, it's cool. It doesn't make me love the brand more. It makes me be excited about like a great unboxing experience. It doesn't make me fall in love with the brand because I feel like it's been done for a lot of people. Humans want to feel special. Mm -hmm. and, and the vision was if we can create these moments um, where, you know, after a while we learned that the, and I, and I think this, the book is called um, creating moments by uh, Dan and cheap Dan and chip Heath, I believe. Um, but the, the vision was like, if we can find people at a very, very instrumental point of their life, whether it's heartbreak or loss or massive achievement and people feeling a certain kind of way and, and be the kind human that does something nice for them at that point in their life, we can create 
super fans and also create relationships mm-hmm. with people that sustain way longer than their order with Olipop. And thinking through, you know, again, empowering the team to do this stuff without asking a million questions. If you feel a certain kind of way, make that person's day. So that's step one. And, uh, you know, one of the, one of the more recent stories, you know, was we had a customer that reached out to cancel their subscription because they had a bunch of flooding and, you know, obviously, mm-hmm first thing we do is cancel the subscription, but thinking like this person's going through a lot, how can we do something special um, and treat them like a friend? Like what would a friend do? And we, my teammate just sent them a full dinner from Olipop. And it's like, nobody else is doing that because nobody else gives themselves the ability to stop and pause and think about whether or not this person ordered two times or 12 times. If you can create a moment, these people will love you forever. And that that's, that's one and then the other thing, you know, which has been amazing because I took this, this was a page out of, out of Chewy's book of what they do when, mm-hmm. when pets pass away, where they, you know, gen- generally think of that as the end of a customer life cycle, but they send a bouquet of flowers. And it's like, it's just thinking mm-hmm. so much larger than, than your relationship and taking, taking this to a whole nother level. So we had somebody that reached out a while back about their mom being in hospice care and, and she wasn't allowed to eat a lot of the junk food that she had the years before, but root beer, the Olipop root beer was something that made her so happy. Mm. And and it was something that she was allowed to have every single day. And when we think about selling a healthy soda, we think about, you know, removing the, you know, who knows how many pounds of sugar from the standard American diet. And we think about, you know, like we think about those things, we think less about changing people's lives, especially at the end of their life. Um, and we had heard she reached out saying that her mom had recently passed away. And I read this letter and, and literally was tearing. I was like, how insane is that? Like to have such a strong connection to somebody at that point in their life. And we ended up sending sending her a gorgeous bouquet of flowers. And she's like been, you know, in touch with us ever since. And 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 now to see like other brands hopping on that. And I'm like, this is this is the future. Like the future is viewing, like you're saying, like viewing people as humans instead of this you know, very, very transactional relationship of like, you give us money, we give you product. And I think that's the unlock for like word of mouth and creating a, a brand that lasts more than you're just pump and dump exit, right? It's like thinking of like, mm-hmm. how do you build a brand? Like not, not how do you build this little rocket that, you know, raise a couple hundred million and exit, right? Yeah. Oh, I'm like trying not to tear up hearing those things because it yeah. really is so, it really is so heartwarming and you don't, those are not the stories I think that make it into the mainstream. So like, I'm really grateful that you're so transparent about that and you're willing to share those stories on Twitter. Like there's an obvious, you know, kudos to the brand for that. But I think like as marketers and as people, it really distills down, like just give a shit, <laughs> like just give a couple of shits and it's not going to be that hard. Um, and ultimately I think, you know, if you're trying to really build that brand loyalty and build that relationship, you need to focus on making it personal and making it emotional. Like that's that unlock. And I think all of those experiences that you just talked about, those are personal. It's not the sticker in the box. It's not the, hey, the first name is printed on, you know, a mass distribution of direct mailers. Like, yeah, we can we can get all that information as marketers. It doesn't make it personal just because it's personalized. Um, so I really love that you're you're really focusing on taking it to the next level there. And yeah, my my heart is very warm. <laughs> I think just because it's just because um, it's personalized doesn't make it personal. We should get that on a t-shirt. Yeah, that, that's love it. it. Now, Mark <laughs> it down. I wrote it down. <laughs> Done. Uh, now, yeah. Now uh, I will think on merch. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
That's great. Um, one point I just really want to hit home as a Facebook ads guy. Mm-hmm. Please take some of my budget and do that instead. I do not need to acquire more customers if you can't keep them. You will make my life so much easier. Please, mm-hmm. please take my ad budget and put it back into your business and customers. End of, end of, that. that's it. Well, to piggyback on that just a little bit, um, and Eli, I'm curious to kind of get your POV on this too. Something Mandy brought up that I honestly hadn't even thought about because I'm not so much in the, the Facebook side of things. I'm hardcore like email, SMS. That's my background. Those are my, my love channels. Um, is that just what Matt said, if you take some of that budget and you provide excellent customer experiences, I also imagine it's going to help from like a social listening standpoint and where those ads are, you're not going to get an onslaught of people like reaming the brand saying like, oh, you know, they say this and they don't do that. Like, I I think it could actually pay out in dividends where people might see ads and then they'll go in and they're going to love bomb them instead of, you know, vehemently be against the brand. So I'm curious if like, if you've seen examples of that for Olipop or even other brands where like, you have an opportunity to drive positive conversations and not just, you know, address those negative conversations in the, you know, marketing world. Yeah, no, I think that's a brilliant point. And and if you zoom out, I, I think that the drop shippers of the 2010, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 have, have really fucked um, the kind of standard that customers are expecting. So you'll see them just about yeah. any ad, and I'm sure Matt can confirm this on the Facebook side, just about any ad you run, the number one comment will always be, you guys are full of shit. Like, this is not real. Mm. It's not a real product. There's no way it's coming. And it's like, we've we've really, like, started at a negative here in terms of, like, just building yeah. any sort of brand engagement or brand excitement or, like, any sort of trust. So I think that's, that's the important point to think about. And the, and the second thing is, like, as you build a brand and you have more awareness and excitement around the brand, I'm pretty sure that cost of acquisition goes down because people are already aware of the brand. They know like, Hey, I've heard that they have good, they have good things. And that's the interesting thing about, you know, which is a whole separate conversation about attribution is like, you know, the last click, are we going, you know, like if, if we can do all the cool shit on all the billboards and Facebook just comes in with a, with a Mm -hmm. broom. Um, but that's a separate conversation. Yeah. It's like, how do you measure word of mouth? How do you measure positive, you know, brand sentiment that other people see and which prevents them from having to, you know, have the negative comment on a Facebook ad or on an Instagram post. And instead they're like, oh, let me actually just go check this thing out and make the conversion. Who, you know, who gets the credit for that? So interesting. Yeah. We'll, we'll unpack that. We'll we'll save that for season two. (laughs) Um, I love it. So I think I want to kind of piggyback on this and ask, you know, how do you think customer experience and conversational commerce kind of intersect and truly like, can you really have one without the other? Yeah. I think that when I, when I think about the future of, of conversational commerce, it's, it's having real conversations and engaging with customers. And then when you're ready to push them towards a purchase, you don't have to do the pushing because they're already excited to purchase. And I think that's, you know, mm-hmm. when we think about, and I know Stephanie, your world is is the SMS and email and SMS is a perfect channel to talk yeah. about this, where it's like brands that are going straight yeah. for the kill every single Wednesday are actually, are actually seeing like diminishing returns in a massive way because it's like, you just turn this into a sales channel, but brands that optimize like, hey, let me connect right. with my customers. Let me have conversations that actually are value add and not just annoying them on their most intimate form of communication. Those are the brands that are seeing like when they go for that right hook, they can do 10 times the amount of sales and also not diminish the brand value. And I think that's like the mm-hmm. fascinating intersection be- between conversational commerce and customer experiences. When you focus on the customer 
and you focus on like, how do we keep the customer happy? The, the commerce comes alongside without you fighting for it. Mm, I love that. And I love, I talk about Olipop whenever I talk about SMS because you really, the word you used is it's the most intimate channel. And I will evangelize this till the day I die that it's, it's not invasive. It's not intrusive. People are giving you their personal phone numbers and saying, Hey, I, I want to hear from you. But if they want to continue to hear from you, it's all about, you know, how you actually approach that. And some brands are doing a great job doing it from a conversational and like friend kind of focused approach. And other brands are like, it's another batch and blast, send it, you know, full send to the whole list multiple times a week. And we don't want it to turn into, you know, the wasteland that in some cases email has truly become because you can just send whatever you want. It's easy to ignore. It'll be there. But for SMS, we're learning once you lose someone, it's like almost impossible to get them back because I'm like, you text me late at night when you shouldn't be and, and you disturb me or you're only ever saying like, hey, buy from us or hey, you looked at this thing. I'm like, why would I ever come back and even resubscribe to see if you've like changed your ways? Like first impressions matter uh, when building relationships and it's like the ultimate relationship building channel. Um, so I'd love to talk to you a little bit more about Olipop's SMS because I do think it's really unique in that I haven't seen you guys go back and default to the, we've got to sell. Um, so I'd love to, I, I know some of the secrets behind it and obviously what you guys use, but I'd love to hear from you since I think you had a big hand in Olipop's SMS kind of strategy and how that kind of plays into customer experience and how how you guys bring conversational commerce to life through SMS. Yeah, no, I appreciate your kind words. I think the, the interesting thing is um, never underestimate the magic that happens when you take SMS from the growth team and push it into the customer experience team. I think that's, that's, mm. that's a, an easy shift, right? So when I started at Olipop in, in June of, of last year, the first thing I was thinking about and seeing, you know, we were signed up with PostScript, we were ready to start sending SMS. And I'm, and I'm thinking to myself back then in June, like, I don't get texts from any people at all. Like I get texts from like five mm -hmm. people and one of them is my mom. Like I don't get brand texts. So if I'm going to sign up for a brand, I either have to deeply, deeply care about every single new product that they're sending to me every Wednesday, or I have to kind of get exactly what I signed up for, which means if I signed mm -hmm. up for like, send me a daily joke, I want a daily joke. And if it's anything above your daily joke, I don't really give shits. Right. No. So that's, that's what I was mm -hmm. thinking of back then. And then in thinking like, if we give somebody exactly what they signed up for, and then sales kind of come through that, that's genius, right? Like that, that's the perfect, right? Like you want to be, you know, the front and center of like every new drop at Olipop. We give you early access mm. to our new flavor. That's a no brainer. You signed up to be in the, in the friend group and in the group text and you get early access that, that makes sense. Right. And then we, we've done like $30,000 in 30 minutes from launching on SMS. Right. And, and, you know, we've seen other brands follow that. Damn. Some have followed it in the way of like, we'll do that plus all the other bullshit. Others have followed it right. in like, okay, this makes sense. And here's why it makes sense. Let's keep this going. And, and again, we're seeing diminishing returns where it's like, hey, we're launching on SMS. And you're like, you spam on my, you, you, you send me spam texts all the time. I'm not going to sign up just to get a 12 hour early access to your new launch. Right. So it's like, it, it has to be done with tact. But I think that was like our first, our first thought was like, how can we deliver these unique experiences because the other thing I'd say is like somebody that's signing up to SMS probably is getting your emails. They're probably following you yep. on social as well. And what we're seeing a lot of brands do is they're just like, you're saying batching and blasting the same message on seven different channels. 
And it's like, oh, we've removed mm -hmm. three words so it fits in the text, but it's the same exact message. It's like, I don't have to, it's almost like the woof in, in the office, right? Where you're just like getting just 37 notifications. You're like, what is going on here? So that was number one is like, yeah, what is this medium? How can we figure out the, the correct message for every medium? So that was my perspective from, from early on was like, how do we want to send this message on Twitter? How do we want to send this message on Instagram? Like for us, our Twitter is like Olipop after hours. We say shit there that we probably wouldn't mm. say on Instagram. And we will yeah, Love it. Live for we'll it. be a little bit more <laughs> savage there than we will be on our text. And it's like thinking of like, okay, what is every channel? How are these tools thought about in terms of like, what's the mission for this tool? What is it supposed to do? And then it's like, every single time you get that weird temptation because it's the last day of the month and you got to meet your quota, just, just get the fuck out. Just walk out of the office. Like that's, that's when you shouldn't click send and give it to somebody else. So removing any sort of like, okay, here's the goal. I got to get to this amount of sales. Like that's where the weirdness comes in where you're like, how do I get more sales? But when you, when you switch that frame of like, how do I provide more value? Not in the way of like, I'm going to give you a free oil change more like I'm going to think of like a way where you actually smile from this message and maybe you end up buying another case of soda. And that's like the, the, the flip of like, you can make money and you can push a sale, but it has to be something aside from just like, hey, we dropped this, buy it, right? And you're seeing a lot of mm -hmm. brands kind of transition of like, we make money on email, we make money on SMS, and we make money on Facebook ads. And it's just like, you know, mm -hmm. and, and you will make money. That's the ironic thing is like, if you batch and blast, you will make money. You're also going to scare away yep. a ton of people while doing so, and your LTV will be trash but you're bringing in a bunch of people in the funnel, squeezing all you can out of them, and then they move along. So you're diminishing your brand. You're receiving pretty low LTV on a longer frame when you think about, you know, versus the brands that are thinking about this strategically. And here I am turning this into a full-on brand session. But Oh my gosh, <laughs> I am, no, I am living yeah. for this. And it was so funny. Um, Mandy got so excited on our last episode when we we let her know we were going to be talking to you because she she referenced Olipop She's amazing. On, about you know oh yeah like big, we're all big Olipop fans here big fans of Mandy but I I would love maybe in a future you know we can do some roundtable thing we've been we've been talking about that so because we talked a lot about that and it's almost the very inverse of what we just talked about previously of like just because the ROI isn't there for things that don't scale or sorry, just because you can't measure it immediately doesn't mean it's not there. I'd like to flip that for what you just said and say, just because you're getting that immediate ROI on a full batch and blast send doesn't mean that the long-term ROI is actually there. You're actually diminishing it. So that's like a huge paradox. And I think as marketers and you know whether you're on the marketing side or the customer experience side, which really should go super hand in hand, that's something that we often lose sight of. You've got, you know, executives that, that don't understand. They don't care about unsubscribes. They don't, they don't care about losing people. It's all about how many dollars and how many conversions can we drive today, right now, just send the email, check the box, just put the post on social, check the box, just send the text, check the box. Um, and I love what you said. So it's like, I'm going to spin that. It's like, if you're just trying to check the box, also get the fuck out and don't hit like, <laughs> really sit down and like, think about like, why, why are you sending it? Um, I feel like it's a foundational thing and like such a core element of what we do in marketing. Um, but it's really easy, I think, to lose sight of that. And even on the consumer side, there's plenty of times when I receive emails or I receive texts, especially since I'm so close to the industry. And I'm like, someone just had to hit send on that. Yep. Like this is not <laughs> providing, it's not, it's not giving value. It's just taking from me. And I think that's what we want to be really careful of. Like 
yeah, we're here to make money. Yes, we're here to build awesome brands, um, but we don't want to be taking more from our subscribers and more from our customers than we're actually giving back to it them. It also gets to a point where this, like, you can only make the same joke on email X amount of times where, like, mistake, yes. here's a sale, I fucked up. Here's, and it's like, that, there's no way that's working anymore. Oops. Like, let's let's think about value. And I think that's, like, that's, that's a really mm-hmm. tough one because generally, as a rule, you know, marketers are being, you know, they have KPIs, right? And it's like, and it, it's difficult to like get your head out of there of like, okay, let's say I don't hit my KPI for this month, but next month I double it, right? And it's, it's, a, it's an interesting conversation mm-hmm. to have. And it's easy for me to say when I'm on the experience side, but what I do see is that the people that we take a different approach with and, you know, the people that we treat without, very well and don't spam all the time, when we do go for that right hook, it always pays off. Mm -hmm. And it's like thinking, it's thinking like, how can we provide value? And then when we go for it, these people feel like this is not you trying to sell me. This is you trying to let me know that this flavor just launched because you know, I've purchased a similar one in the past. Mm -hmm. And it's the same message. It's just Mm -hmm. a different, it's a different, it's a different view of the message. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's that yes. And concept like, yes, we're here, you know, to, to drive sales, but like, and you can have that if you provide that excellent experience and you unlock that moment, you make it personal, you make it emotional. Yeah. Um, so I think they really all go hand in hand. Um, I'm very interested this year heading into Black Friday, Cyber Monday with what we're going to see um, on the SMS front. We know every year what happens with email. We know, you know, social is going to be popping off. I'm, this year, I'm sure I, I feel for every Facebook and paid media marketer <laughs> out there. That's why I don't dabble. I don't dabble in the dark arts. I don't fight algorithms. It's just in my yeah, yeah. <laughs> But I think with SMS, um, I've, you know, I've subjected myself, signed up for so many brands this year because I've been so interested in really deeply understanding who's doing what, how do we unlock this channel in the right way. And I think we're going to see an onslaught of people doing it not well. Um, I'm terrified of getting multiple texts in a single day. Uh, whereas, you know, yeah, for email that happens, we've become used to it. So I'm curious, I don't know if you're able to shed kind of any light on, you know, not your strategy heading into Black Friday, Cyber Monday, but kind of how you guys are viewing that at Olipop and, you know, really preserving the efficacy of some of those relationship channels and not just giving in to what everyone else is expecting people to do during crazy holiday times as well. I I can actually give you the answer to the first question. You'll see a message that Great. comes in on Thursday saying like, hey, our sale's almost starting. You'll see another text three hours later that says our sale's live. You'll see a Friday text, hope you're enjoying shopping, check out our sale. You'll see final couple of hours, then you'll see, boom, our sale has been extended. And you'll probably get the same message yep. on SMS and email from a lot of brands. And I think that's like, again, the bar yep. is pretty low. So I think that's that's interesting. When I think about SMS and I think about email and I think about Black Friday, Cyber Monday, it's again, the noisiest time of the year. So the que- there are two questions. The yeah. question is, what are your consumers expecting? And the other question is, how do you yeah. break through the noise? And I think that the, mm. the most, to me, the most naive concept is that you break through the noise by making more noise. Like, I, I don't think that's ever the answer. Mm. So the question becomes is like, if somebody's going to see one or two or three messages from you on that weekend, when they're with their family or out shopping, what would bring them value and what would they expect? So from, from, the, Olipop, from mm. the Olipop side, what we've done last year is that we've learned that people want something that's simple, straightforward, 
easy and cohesive. It makes sense. You see it, you hop in. Could we have done more revenue on saying like spend 50, you get X, spend 100, you get Y, spend 700, you get W and, and create seven different levels and free gift with purchase? Maybe. But from a, from a consumer yeah. perspective, if I hop on a website and see 17 levels with 37 coupons, I'm immediately leaving. And I thought from a consumer yeah. standpoint, people want a discount, right? And that's straightforward. Like you can't, you know, you can do like free mm -hmm. shipping, Black Friday, like, yeah, I'll pay $2 for shipping next week. So I think it's like people mm -hmm. want a discount. They want it to be super easy and simple. So last year we did 25% off the largest sale of the year. It's the, it's the most we've ever offered. Yeah. It's from Thursday to Monday and it's mm -hmm. simple and it's a header on our site and you purchase and you go and you continue your weekend and it's super simple. And I think that yeah. we have gotten last year, we've got a bunch of messages from people saying like, thank you for, for keeping this simple. Like, thank you for just like, mm. we've been waiting for a discount. We love Olipop. We're stocking up and you kept it simple. So thank you. So that's, that's my, my view on, on Black Friday, Cyber Monday is it's, it's just going to get noisier every year. There are some brands that yeah. are just going to be like, can I make the most noise? Um, but instead we focus on like, can we make a singular, a singular amount of noise that's loud enough that kind of brings up a flag and people are like, oh, it's Olipop. Mm. They're doing the same thing they did last time, or they're doing something unique and different, but it's like, this is the one or, you know, the one or the two messages I'm going to get all weekend. And I understand exactly what to do with it. And, and I think that's, um, that's kind of our, our view on, on Black Friday, Cyber Monday. I love that. Yeah, no, I appreciate you sharing that with us. I will for sure be stocking up Thank you. <laughs> around that time. And I think last year was so hard. So I, I, I give you kudos for, you know, as a brand and, you know, for all the folks executing on that of being able to hold your ground because marketers everywhere were in such a weird and unique circumstance, you know, people everywhere, but especially marketing last year on Black Friday, Cyber Monday, because because Amazon Prime Day got pushed to October and retailers jumped on, you know, early Black Friday, Cyber Monday. I think Target kicked it off the first week of November. And then you had every brand everywhere saying, well, shit, we got to turn it on and we got to just run it. And I think I saw things extended all the way into December. And I just, as a consumer, I hated it. As a marketer, I, you know, I'm explaining to clients like, well, yeah, you're not going to make as much off of the 10th email you sent <laughs> with the same sale as you did, because, you know, like, goodness gracious, you got to cut it off somewhere. So yeah, I really appreciate you that, that you guys kind of kept it, you know, you kept the sanctity of those of those discount holidays and didn't, you know, run the the gamut. And something that stood out for me with Olipop last year, and I think you and I interacted on this in particular, I hope you do it again this year, is being able to keep folks engaged after that crazy sales period, again, with value add content. And you guys sent out cassava cookie recipes. I think it was like brown sugar cassava cookies cassava flour I think, or cassava root, I'm sorry, is one of the ingredients in Olipop. So it was educational. It was a cool partner, like highlight, you know, one of the brands you guys work with. But I got a recipe and I love, this bitch loves to bake. Hell yeah. Like loves to bake <laughs> during, the, during the holidays. So I'm like, you know, I'm going out to sprouts. I'm like buying the cassava flour. I have my Olipop. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so cool that a brand sent me a recipe directly to my phone because that's where I'm usually looking them up anyway. And I just thought that was such a cool and unique experience. It got me more, you know, in tune with ingredients with the brand. So personal request, you know, if you're listening, send more recipes. I thought that was so cool. I really loved it. And I think that's such a great example of like, 
here's how you keep folks engaged and give more to them than you're ultimately taking, especially during such a conversion-heavy time of yeah, year. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And I appreciate you saying that. It's funny that when it, when it comes to these kind of like recipes or did you know mm. or, or all those kind of things on SMS, like what I think is most fascinating as you grow as a brand is, is thinking about using Postscript's keywords. And like, if you love recipes, yeah. reply recipe and then continuously segmenting people into that because the people that love recipes would be fine with one every couple of weeks. People that are like, I don't know how to bake or just like, you send me one more damn recipe. Um, so I think it's like figuring out like the people that love it want a whole bunch of it. Um, so I think that's like mm -hmm. a, a, a fun, a fun thing that we learned um, <laughs> the last time we sent the recipe. Yeah, super smart. I also love Postscript for that big fan of keyword replies because you're really giving someone the opportunity to kind of like choose their own SMS adventure. Like we're going to send you the shit you want to hear about. And then we're just going to not send you the stuff that you're telling us you're not interested in. So you don't drive them away. And it's such a smart use case of like without having to set up a preference center. It's it sort of serves that use case of like keyword, send this stuff. Or if they don't say it, you know, they don't reply, don't send it. So I, I thought that was such a smart use case there. And I'm really excited to see what you guys do this year. Um, and I know we're coming up to the top of the hour. So I only have a couple of more things I want to touch on. But I saw you recently also announced that you guys are actually lowering prices, which so rare, I think, especially in the e-com world. I think if anything, we, we've gotten accustomed to seeing price increases. So I'm really curious because I think that's a great example of I would imagine you guys are, are listening to your customers. I, people might think it's expensive. You know, it's not as cheap as, you know, the Coca-Cola's, the Pepsi's of the world. You're not trying to be a cheap brand, but I'm curious, you know, what element of like listening to customers kind of came into the strategy there and how are you guys inviting customers into the conversation when you're making really critical business decisions around things like pricing? Yeah, I mean, uh, this is this is interesting because it, it, it was a long time coming. Um, we're, we're always listening mm -hmm. to feedback and we use Gorgeous yeah. to tag just about every single email that comes in. And and the the broader story is that Olipop is a soda, has ingredients mm -hmm. that are super expensive, and we're not producing mm -hmm. sugar and phosphoric acid at the at the level or volume that any of the legacy soda brands are. So when we started this, you know, this is a health product, it's healthy for you, it's good for you, but also we want to get to a broader market. And we understand that a, a two, three, four dollar soda is, is not necessarily the the broad market. You know, soda has like a ninety something percent pen, household penetration. It's a forty billion dollar mm -hmm. market just in the US. People are drinking this. And they're not only the people that are making enough money to buy a soda for two forty nine. And then thinking, you know, how can we, you know, our, our vision was always getting to a broader audience. And, and as we grow and, and unlock savings, and most brands say like we unlock savings because we're, we're moving quicker and we're producing more. Let's just pocket that. And for us as a brand, it's like we listen to customers saying like, I love this if it was a little cheaper. Um, and thinking like, how can we constantly mm -hmm. think about that? And our variety packs were always a couple of dollars more because it, it took a, it took more physical labor to kind of pick and pack those. Um, and as we scaled, we found some we found some unlocks in our supply chain, and we passed that along to the consumer. And and it's it's something that I plan on um, continuing to push for is like, how can we create a product that's widely accessible um, to the broad population, not not to a small percentage. Mm, I love that. And I'm curious, because um, I know you sent out, I got the email communication about it. 
I'm curious, did people respond to you? Like, were people super stoked to hear that the prices have been dropping? Yeah, I, I think it's a shocking email to get from a company. Um, most people don't don't email you to tell you the price went down. Um, so I think I think yeah. it, we, I mean we got a, a ton of amazing feedback, especially especially from subscribers who we've reached out to anyone that subscribed to Olipop saying like your monthly subscription mm-hmm. is now five dollars less. I think the the responses on those amazing. were or bonkers. Um, and people genuinely feel like they connect to our brand and, you know, they get a message from me and they respond to me. And some of these people are people that I've spoken to in the past. And it's like, Hey, Katie, it's good to hear from you again. Right. So it's like being able to keep those conversations, whether you have a hundred customers or a hundred thousand customers, you can still make it your business to have relationships with quite a few of them. And that's been so fulfilling and amazing. Like getting a message from somebody that chatted with me six months ago, um, to thank me for, you know, for sending sending that update was was awesome and, and keeps me excited to continue doing the work I'm doing. That's fantastic. Yeah, I was super excited to see that, especially since I love variety. So for me, it's always been like, oh, I'm just going to go to the store when it's on sale and like, yep. you know, pick the variety that I want, but they're not always in stock. Like I love to have the spectrum of flavors, but I didn't love that it was more expensive. So for me, I'm so much more likely to have like a subscription knowing I'm saving on it because it's recurring. I'm also getting all the flavors I want and it's no longer more expensive than, you know, a single flavor because that was an efficiency for the business. And now they're passing that convenience and that efficiency on to me, which is awesome. So it's making that person feel special. Like who doesn't want to save money Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> without having to try for it? <laughs> awesome. Well, we're coming up to the end of the hour. So I kind of want to wrap things up and really just give you kind of open mic. If there's any other additional thoughts, feelings you have on conversational commerce and customer experience, this floor is yours. So we'd love to hear any lasting wisdom you want to impart on us. In yeah, I am so incredibly, I mean, as I'm sure you've heard for the last 45 minutes, I am so incredibly passionate about what customer experience can do for a business. And, and I really do think that the future of, of brands are going to be the brands that spend time and money um, focusing on the customer. And, and from a customer perspective, I think customers are going to want to spend their hard-earned money on brands that care. Um, so I, I deeply encourage anyone that's listening to this to, to take a look at what your experience looks like on the brand side and, and really put time and resources into making it right. Mm, I love that. So simple, right? Not not too hard. Yeah. <laughs> well, Eli, we're so stoked that you joined us today. Um, I, this was an, an incredible conversation. I feel like I learned so much and I'm hoping that our listeners did too. Um, so we definitely want to make sure uh, folks get a chance to know where can they follow you if they want to hear more about customer experience, if they want to follow along when the episode, episode is live, where is the best place to, to reach yeah, you? Yeah, I mean, you can follow Olipop on at drink Olipop on all socials drink and you can find me on twitter at eli weiss with an extra s it's w-e-i-s-s-s yeah definitely follow eli on twitter one of my absolute favorite follows thank you <laughs> you won't be disappointed <laughs> perfect well eli thank you so much that uh wraps us up for episode two and we're looking forward to yeah the, the future of conversational commerce and more episodes to come thank you so much Thanks, Eli. As we wrap up today's episode, another shout out to our sponsor, Postscript, the leader in SMS marketing for Shopify and Shopify Plus brands. If you're not already using Postscript, be sure to check out their free 30-day trial. That's right, 30 full days, an entire calendar month for free. We've heard some brands have made over $100,000 during their free trial, so don't sleep on this. For your 30-day free trial, check out the link in our show notes or visit Postscript.com. 
postscript.io. Again, that's postscript.io to start your free trial today.